Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. As part of Animal Health Awareness and AMR Week, Department of Agriculture vets Damien Barrett and Caroline Garvin join us to discuss the implications of poor health outcomes on farm productivity and provide a checklist of steps to maintain a healthy herd. And I first asked Damien to quantify the cost of poor health. Good animal health really is, is, the, is the, um, the foundation of profitable and sustainable um, dairy production systems. I think it's fair to say that good that's, um, profitable dairy farming and sustainable farm, dairy, dairy farming are inextricably linked in the sense that um, we're, we've all become more and more aware of, of, of greenhouse gases and, and methane in particular. And a key element of, of reducing, well, we all know that um, the levels of methane per, per um, litre of milk sold is going to have to come down. But a key element of, of that is ensuring that um, the, the cows that are in production are as productive as possible from as, as early a, a, stage, a stage in their lives as possible and that they're going to have a long and productive life now, in terms of anything that's going to um, impact on animal health is going to impact on, on that productivity. For instance, um, in preparing for this, I, I, I reviewed some research and, and it showed that a severe, out, or a severe um, case of bovine respiratory disease or pneumonia as a calf has the potential to um, increase the calving interval of a cow by, by 12%. A scour as a calf, um, the, there's, there's going to be a significant reduction in milk yield. So it's not just um, it's not just there and then that the loss is going to be seen. It's going to be seen over the lifetime of 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 the animal. So as 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 the theme of our of our animal health awareness week this year, year is prevention is better than cure. It's an old ad that most wise farmers are well aware of but it's never it's never been truer and it's got implications on a wider scale than just the um the health of the animal it's also got um key implications for the sustainability and profitability of the farm damien if if we're um hypercritical of our systems and really proactive should we be earmarking animals that have had a significant a significant health event such as pneumonia or scour as a calf if that's a female should we be considering whether that animal is suitable or unsuitable as a replacement to enter the dairy herd um that that certainly should be considered um any of these animals are not going to be reaching their targets on time like we, we we're all aiming for heifers to be calving down at 24 months of age and ideally calving down in at the earlier part of the calving season, because there, inevitably we, there is going to be some level of slippage in terms of of, of calving interval. Like um, most most cows are doing very well to to calve again within the three hundred and sixty five days. So, um, like some of these animals are going to identify themselves by not by foreculling in the sense that they're not going to reach those targets on time. And maybe people should be a bit more ruthless in selecting animals for breeding that. That if if they're going to be uh, allowing 
allowing animals in that haven't reached those targets, hoping they're going to make it up in, in later. More than likely, they're not going to make it up. And more than likely, these animals are going to be are, are, are going to have a premature exit from the herd. And if in if we're in a scenario where there are plenty of replacements, I think people should be an awful lot more selective. And then looking to incidents of disease on farm, Damien, what are the key early signs that farmers can can look to and say, I think I might be in trouble here and take a proactive measure before it gets out of control? It depends very much on on the uh, on the actual disease, but a, a good a good rule of thumb, I suppose, is that um, either say a, a disease exceeds five percent of the animals involved, or that you have a very large number of cases in a very short space of time. Say, for instance, in a smaller herd, maybe four could even be three or four cases of say pneumonia or or, or, or diarrhea in in calves, or, or particularly abortion. Abortion is a is a can be a quite quite an important telltale for for other diseases because it um abortion um will result from from fever fever of any anything and can actually be quite an indicator of um an exotic disease incursion as well so and any anything anytime you see um say significant numbers of abortions happening in a short space of time um are even very small numbers of relatively small numbers of, of abortions that needs to be investigated promptly because you don't you don't want um it to get a foothold in the herd um and it, these things are much easier dealt with early on rather than a, a, essentially a salvage operation um if if such a thing was to get a hold of within a herd and like, you know, we, we do see the odd case of an abortion um, in the sheds, um, you know, from th- from this time of year on um, before cows start to calve down. Um, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, um, um, an encounter with another cow. It's not necessarily that it is a disease. But talk through in the investigation you're talking about where you see an abortion on farms. Are you talking about, you know, dropping the, the fetus to the regional veterinary lab? That's it in a nutshell. Um, it's the question of dropping the fetus along with the cleaning, if that's available, and and getting a blood sample from the cow to rule out the common cause of abortion. People were, were and people were probably an awful lot more aware of this uh, prior to the eradication of, of brucellosis. And I'd say there's a certain level of complacency has has entered um, the fray since brucellosis has been eradicated. Like there is an obligation on farmers to report and have um, abortions investigated, which which really uh, was part of the 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 brucellosis legislation. When when brucellosis thankfully is no longer with us, um, I think. Um, People aren't as aware of that, but nonetheless, abortion is a is a very important telltale or an indicator of of a disease event, and um, it never should be, it 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 never it never should be looked upon lightly. Going down the route, you you talk about a fever is generally the cause of abortion. What are the typical diseases that are causing that fever? Well, it's just if, um, abortion is a byproduct of, of any fever. Like that could be that could be something as simple or as straightforward as a as a summer mastitis, or a, which earlier in the year um, it could be 
um, a pneumonia or, or anything like that. So that that's for say a, a generalized systemic disease event. Um, the fever is not, not necessarily a feature of the common um, abortifacient abort agents like leptospirosis, salmonellosis, um, there are say listeria or, or those type those type of, of bacteria. It's not necessarily a, a standout feature of it, but the fever I'm referring to is more say um, uh, probably a, a more of a rare event to once off unless unless you're looking at the introduction of an exotic disease um, where like Schmallenberg, like fever was definitely a, a feature of Schmallenberg infection. And Caroline, to you, um, when we consider the AMR challenge that exists, could you give us some information on how this uh, concept is linked with the One Health? Well, AMR is the key One Health issue, Emma Louise, because we all depend on antibiotics, both in the human health sector and in the animal health sector to treat disease. And we share the same families of antibiotics. So we're both using these antibiotics. And every time you use an antibiotic, be it in ourselves or in our cattle, you are driving the development of resistance, which means if you continue using it, eventually the bacteria will not be susceptible to it. So we'll, we'll run out of disease treatment options. And it, it's because of this shared, shared diseases as well. You know, diseases travel across like Salmonella, Campylobacter. They go back and forth between the human and animal population. So that brings in the One Health concept and also the role of the environment, which is the one that has sort of been left out up to now, really, is that every time you treat an animal with an antibiotic, up to 60% of it is excreted into the environment and that antibiotic then meets the bacteria in the environment and can cause development of resistance in those bacteria which can then meet other disease causing bacteria which infect ourselves or our animals so you've got this big multifactorial um, soup if you like where everyone is using the same medicines use and living in the same environment and there's there's crossover of diseases um covid is is, is a good example but you know over i think it's 70 percent of, of diseases in humans come from the animal population so that's where it comes under the one health concept if you like and looking from a dairy farm perspective can you give us some of the practical um, farm practices that we could work towards in order to become more sustainable and reduce our risk of AMR? Sure, absolutely. And the first thing I would say is that we have developed a nice code of practice between the, the veterinary sector, the farming sector and Chagas that highlights the steps, the guidelines, and it's on our website under gov.ie forward slash AMR. But I suppose in that, it highlights seven particular guidelines. The first one being what, what Damien has been talking about, the whole idea of optimal animal health. So preventing disease, because if you don't have disease, you don't use antibiotics. The other thing farmers need to consider is having, you know, a, a living herd health plan. So, you know, what are my diseases on farm? What, what are the suitable treatments? How can I avoid these diseases? And mastitis is, is a key one, which we can discuss later. Um, but the other thing you can build in is biosecurity. So, you know, you try and have a closed herd. Um, increase your use of vaccines. We're very much seeing things moving that way. The sales of vaccines have now surpassed the sales of, of antibiotics. So that, that's all very positive. And sometimes it's a case of investing now in a vaccine to see the long-term gain. 
Um, the other thing you can do, obviously, is look at your man management strategies to keep the animals stress-free because overcrowding, poor ventilation, all these things are stresses that precipitate disease and the possible need to use antibiotics. And I suppose what we have developed within the, the, the department and with the stakeholders is this six rights policy. So you have the right veterinary diagnosis in the first place so that you know you're not treating a viral disease, it's a bacterial disease because only bacterial diseases need antibiotics. And then that you're treating the right animal, the animal that needs it, that you're not doing group treatment and you're using the right antibiotic because you have different classes now of antibiotics. We have certain antibiotics we should never be used as a first-line treatment because they are drugs of last resort in human health. And then the key thing is to give the right dose for the right duration. Because if you if you underdose, you're obviously not killing the bacteria properly and you're promoting development of the resistance. And if you don't give it for long enough, that's the other thing. Again, you're promoting development of resistance. So always follow the course. If it says three days, don't stop after day two, even if the calf is skipping around the shed. And then the last thing farmers can do is correctly correctly store the antibiotic but also dispose of it correctly because you don't want the antibiotic leaching out into the environment. So I mean they're, they're key guidelines really and, and, and I suppose if you want to look at the different age groups as Damien mentioned in the calves really optimal calf health is getting your colostrum in following the one two three rule you know um, giving the first milk in within two hours and giving three liters and I suppose you know, it, it's generally building up. It all centers around having a herd health plan and building on your, your health that's there to, to, to look always to be continually trying to, to optimize the animal health in your herd. And Caroline, like from the steps, the seven steps that you've documented there, I think it's no harm for a farmer to even write those down and then talk, walk through each of the steps and consider where do I sit? Um, you know, am I, you know, good average or poor in this category and you know you mentioned the herd health there are really good structures um, and example plans in terms of vaccinations and treatments for animals with Ill, Ill health um, you know and it's it's to I guess consider it and adapt it to your particular situation. One of the things you mentioned Caroline is in some instances antibiotics should not be used and something that dairy farmers are becoming more and more aware of is um, you know the use or the um, the use of um, antibiotics at dry cow or you know the selective dry cow therapy where you're using sealer only on low cell count cows um, you know how important is this practice going to be on dairy farms in the future? It's going to be really important, Emma Louise, because, you know, we talk about the buzzword being sustainability. It's no longer considered sustainable at a social level, you know, to keep using antibiotics randomly without due justification. And so this blanket dry cow therapy where it was treat all the animals, even perhaps some animals that might necessarily have needed it, is no longer going to be considered acceptable, particularly when we're looking for other markets, you know, to, to, to sell our produce. So, so really, and the other key driver is there's new legislation coming into force on the 28th of January, and the, it's the veterinary medicines legislation, and a key driver in that legislation is to address AMR in the in the human health sector but also in the animal health sector by reducing the use of antibiotics and there is one one article in that legislation that specifically looks at the whole preventative use of anti, of disease of antibiotics and that's 
that that feeds directly into our, our dry cow therapy, which is in essence, you're using the antibiotics to prevent disease during the dry period. And so what that legislation is saying that it can only be used in individual animals in exceptional circumstances. So, you know, vets, when they're going to prescribe, when this new legislation comes into place, will be influenced a lot by their code of practice that's laid out by the Veterinary Council of Ireland. They're, they're answerable to the Veterinary Council in how they, how they prescribe antibiotics. And, you know, they will be very much looking at reducing the level of antibiotic use on farms at drying off. And so key to that would be farmers considering have I enough information to know exactly what's going on in each animal? And things like milk recording are going to become really, really important. And we do know that the level of milk recording is continuing to increase. I think we're at over 40% at the moment. And that that's really positive because there is research out there showing that farmers that take up milk recording can increase their, their yield, increase their, their actual earnings by 210 euro per dairy cow. And it also shows that you get a decline in your overall bulk milk tank somatic cell count by 23% because you're having you have much better evidence you've much better information to know which cows actually need the antibiotic and which ones don't and obviously there, there's certain thresholds there's there, there's risk when you when you do go down the selective dry cow therapy route but AHI have developed there, there, there's taser workshops out there and you know you, there, there's a lot of support there but the bottom line is farmers are going to have to move towards this. They are going to have to look at their practices because the, the goalposts have moved. And the, the other thing to mention is there are now these critically important antibiotics, drugs of last resort, and some of them are in our dry cow tubes. And really now the, the, there's a code of practice that has been developed for vets that's saying that they cannot be used, that these treatments, these particular tubes should not be used for first line treatment and that there needs to be culture and susceptibility testing done to justify the use. So that that test result will show you, yes, I need to use this particular tube because nothing else works. But the reality is when we look at, at the results, um, at, at, our, at our laboratory results, most mastitis are susceptible to the penicillins, you know, the lower class of antibiotic. And there really isn't a huge justification for using these critically important antibiotics. And the other thing is cost. Obviously, these, these particular tubes with these more um, important antibiotics are more expensive. So there's a, lot, there's a lot to balance up. And I suppose really we're all on the learning curve. But the message is the practices that were there in the past can't continue around blanket dry cow therapy. And I think, Caroline, you know, it's 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 really interesting. All of the benefits that you have mentioned, you know, improved production, reduction in the bulk tank cell count, you know, to, and to name a few things and not to mind the reduction in costs of the, the antibiotic products that um, farmers have used so uh, regularly in the past. And it's interesting as we have this conversation around selective dry cow therapy, you know, I heard some um, of some farms who have actually been doing it over a uh, prolonged period of time and they have animals that are culled at you know 10th and 11th lactation who have never actually uh, received an antibiotic in their lifetime which is a really um, interesting and, and fascinating feat that they have achieved and it's something that all farmers can achieve and it is with that knowledge and power that you talk about in terms of milk recording. Fi finally, to you, Damien, um, you mentioned that our conversation today is is at the start of Animal Health Awareness and AMR Week. Um, can you give us um, any of the 
uh, interesting features of the programme in the next week that might be of interest uh, to dairy farmers? We're, we're holding a series of webinars over the week starting on, on November the 18th to coincide with um, European Anti- Antibiotic Day. On, on Tuesday the 23rd, um, this is going to be the Heart Health uh, webinar, which probably is going to be of the, the most interest to dairy farmers in particular. Um, our first speaker is Eilish Moriarty from Enoughfield um, Scholar uh, that works with the, the Kerry Group, uh, who's going to speak about her, her scholarship on um, the use of bulk milk antibody testing as a, as a screening tool for disease. Um, we're going to hear more about the selective dry cow therapy, which Caroline referred to earlier on. Um, we also have a speaker from the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons in the UK, Fiona Lovett, who's going to um, speak about the initiative that the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons is, is having to encourage um, reduced antimicrobial usage. And we're also going to have a talk on, on um, emerging threats from, from parasites, say, in terms of whether 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 um, its effect on uh, parasite burdens and, um, and, and, and anthelmintic resistance. We're finishing up then on November the 24th, and this is going to be about um, emerging threats. And these are, our first speaker is going to, uh, is going to be from Philip, um, Philip Robinson um, from the Harper Adams Veterinary School in the UK, but he's going to talk about his experience as a, as a practitioner uh, in Northern Ireland in 2001, how he how he diagnosed foot and mouth, as well as being a practitioner, he's the son of a of a of a dairy farmer, and as he will describe uh, how the implications of that for that when he when he um, diagnosed foot and mouth that day in Northern Ireland, he couldn't go home because he couldn't he, he had to he had to stay ho- away from the home farm. We've also got talks that evening on blue tongue. Um, um, African swine fever, um, AMR, and uh, the bi- uh, a case study on low path avian influenza. Now, some of these topics may not be directly um, may not directly affect dairy cattle, but the principles uh, the principles of, of biosecurity and uh, keeping disease out, I think, are, are are relevant to all livestock farmers. So I think there's something of interest to everybody in, in, in that lineup. So um, we'd be hoping uh, many of our listeners would, would register and tune in. That's great. Thank you, Damien. And thank you, Caroline. Thanks, Thanks very much. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Damien Barrett and Caroline Garvin for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.